Let's just continue that chorus as we always do each Sunday. The singing worship to the worship of our hearts by beholding his word. Turn to Romans 12. As Jeremy mentioned, if you're visiting with us, another warm welcome to you. And you don't have a copy of God's word, just look in front of you. You're going to see it in the rack right there. Please take a copy and follow along with us. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We return, beloved, to this opening section of the second half of the book of Romans. And as we noted last time to begin this section, it is where gospel indicatives, or we would say what, give way to gospel imperatives. We would say how. Said another way, this is where what God has given to us in the gospel of God, chapters 1 to 11, gives way to what we are to give to God by the gospel of God, chapters 12 to 15. That's our hinge. This is gospel life. And these first two verses of chapter 12 stand as a header. A header and a banner to all that we are going to learn, Westmount, in the second half of this New Testament letter. It's an exciting journey we're embarking on. Accordingly, this morning, we abandon haste in considering these two verses. Let's read them and take them in, drink them in together. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Our Father, that is indeed our gospel cry, that together as one body, we can present our bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and acceptable to you. Lord, that we would forsake conformity to this world, We would be transformed by mind renewal, by your spirit, so that for the purpose of we can discern your will for our lives, what is good and acceptable and perfect, that we can live out the good, the acceptable, and the perfect. Oh Lord, by your enablement and to your glory we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Last week we opened with a consideration of gospel life foundations. These are biblical realities that Paul has in mind here, biblical realities that he has in mind. And we're going to see these in these chapters. And biblical realities that we must come to terms with as we embark on this study. We must. So number one, number one, first we noted that gospel life is eternal life. And it's eternal life now. This is fundamental. Eternal life now, beloved Gospel life is deliverance from God's wrath then, praise God, on that day of judgment. But gospel life is deliverance from God's wrath now to to live eternity now. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That was true of us before Christ, right? Christian, now you are in Christ, and it means that you've been delivered from that looming wrath 
now. It means you live free in Christ today. His wrath not hanging over your head. You are free, we are free, to live now no longer as slaves to sin, but Christian as slaves to righteousness. To live as we ought, finally, redeemed to life now. Thus, as we embark on this section, we will see what that means, gospel life defined. Two, so gospel life is eternal life, eternal life now. Secondly, accordingly, gospel life is obedient life. It's obedient life. And as we noted, the obedient life is simply the only life that follows Jesus. There is no other life that follows Jesus. Not partially, not in some other way. It's full obedience. As Jesus, recall that Jesus' whole ministry was a life of obedience. What did he say over and over again? I have come to do what? The Father's will, to obey my Father. This is why I've come, to do his will. The Christian follows Jesus thus in all things as they follow Christ. And as Christ was obedient, beloved in all things, so are we. So are we. This letter has reminded us, and will remind us some more, that the gospel life is a life that is characterized by obedience, Jew, Gentile, for every soul that has faith in Messiah. Thus the commands we will see in the rest of this letter are not for us Christian futile. They're not for us frustrating. Praise the Lord, right? They're not futile commands. They are fullness Life, they're fully expected, and we receive them with joy because gospel life is obedience. Three, and corresponding to that, gospel life, remember, another fundamental truth we must grab onto, gospel life is a realm transfer, a domain transfer. I pray you're rejoicing in this this morning. Saints in the gospel were transferred from Adam to Jesus Christ, Romans 5. That's our new domain. This is a transfer from the trajectory of Romans 1, remember the downward sin spiral, to the upward sanctification of Romans 6 through 8 with its terminus in glory. The gospel of God is complete reversal because the saint's domain is now different. Out of Adam, corruption, sin and darkness, and into Christ, redemption, obedience and light. Church positionally, Romans 4, we are in a very different place. Gospel life for is not the individual life. But gospel life is community life. I pray over the past few weeks and maybe over the past few years, you've seen this coursing through everything we do here. As Jerry led us in prayer this morning, you heard it. We don't come as a group of individuals. We come as one body, one gospel body. And we're going to see this loud and clear, not just in these two verses, but in the rest of this letter The gospel of God saves you not unto yourself to live eternal life here and now alone. The gospel of God saves you into one body, members one of another. Romans 12, verse 5, see it. Living for Christ in unity by way of living with each other, serving one another, preferring one another, caring for one another. You came this morning saying, what about each other? That's why you came, right? How are my brothers and sisters doing? I'm coming for them, thus worshiping Christ. Gospel life is the body of Christ. Let's be clear, Westmount. Again, and this will become clear in these chapters, rogue individual, I'm busy with my stuff, Christianity, is just not Christianity. It's not true Christianity. 
In fact, such a life is actually no different to life outside these walls, outside the living church. That autonomous, independent, I'll check in once a week, is common, vulgar living. It is living that unbelievers do by nature. It's not the living that Christians living the gospel life ought to practice. Westmount, such are the foundations of gospel life. Gospel life is eternal life now. Gospel life is obedient life. Gospel life is a realm transfer. And gospel life is the community life. Such are the foundations that we've studied. And now we take with us in our study as we descend into the 12th chapter of Romans, these first two verses. And last Lord's Day, we looked at verse 1. Look at it. And we looked at this first introductory point. And what is it? We relinquish our bodies. We looked at that last time. We relinquish our bodies. Let's remind ourselves of that. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Look at it. A firm, urgent exhortation flowing from what? It flows from this. By the mercies of God. Do you see that? The mercies of God articulated in chapters 1 through 11. And by the mercies of God to do what? Look at it, first and foremost, and ultimately in light of new life, gospel life, verse 1, present your bodies. Present your bodies as a sacrifice before God to God. The word and the picture, remember, that takes us back to the Old Testament, the temple service, the law, the sacrificial instruction given by God through Moses in a time for Israel's daily living. Last week, we looked at the Old Testament law. We looked at a piece of Leviticus, if you recall, Leviticus 1. And what did we note? The details that could really, we could have gone to any other piece of the law and sacrifice to grab. We looked at, number one, that something is relinquished and offered to God. Something is brought to temple and given, changing possession given to God. We noted, two the sacrificial detail. Remember, not just killable, but these are the specific instructions for the sacrifice. Three, we know that the sacrifice must be what? Without blemish. The sacrifice demanded by Yahweh be holy. And lastly, we saw that the sacrifice must be acceptable to God. It must be a pleasing aroma to him. This is not subjectively that the one offering the sacrifice says, I think this is good. No, Yahweh deems it a pleasing aroma. We brought that forward last week and also considered the sacrifice of Christ. In Hebrews, remember that? Hebrews 10, with the advent of Christ and his sacrifice, the New Testament informs us that the Old Testament law was not the true form, but a shadow. Those sacrifices never took away sin, Hebrews 10, 4. Only the perfect blood of the sacrifice of Christ's body does and did that. Christ's body was the sacrifice, and it's the only sacrifice that took away sin and can. But in Christ's sacrifice, we have not just salvation's efficacy, meaning its only worth and value, but in Christ's sacrifice, we also have sanctification's example. This is key. This is the lightning rod for Romans 12. It's not just a salvation efficacy and you're saved by that, but now you have the pattern of your sanctification, your daily living through Christ's sacrifice. Beloved, this, this is it. This is the key in Romans 12 as we begin. That's why we have to belabor this so that we're clear because we're going to come to commands laced through this section that we'll receive in a variety of ways. And until we understand that this is the pattern laid down for us, we may struggle with that. 
The language you see in verse 1 is really Old Testament temple service sacrificial language. And here it is. I hope this is helpful. Designed as a shadow and as a pointer. Telling God's people of old, this is the pattern. This is the way. The Christian thus, following Christ, who is the sacrifice, is called to a life that follows Christ's sacrificial life. Christians are called to be, remember we said, the sacrifices in the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. So all of us, Westmount, this is members of one body, united in Christ's body now, the body of Christ. So this is corporation. This is members of one's body together as one sacrifice. This communal presentation, saints, together as one, is absolutely paramount for what we're going to study. And I beg you, if you haven't heard me enough, I know you're probably sick of hearing it, check your individuality at the door. There's no place for you and you alone, and I'm busy, or that's not me, or I can't. We won't get through this chapter if that's what we're bringing. We can't. This is each of us, beloved, following the text, the text that says giving our whole life together as one whole life, as a body. This is definitive sacrifice. This is sacrifice that has attributes. Recall it is, look at it, verse 1, living, holy, acceptable sacrifices in Jesus. That's the manner of gospel life. It is not, again, and these need to be belabored, it's not amorphous sentiments, I'm just giving myself to Jesus. This is living, holy, acceptable sacrifices to God. Weighty. We ended last week with that clause in verse 1, explaining the fitness of this sacrifice. Present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and acceptable to God. We'll see it in the text this way. There's a way to present this way. This, and not only is there a way God calls for, Look at the text. It says what? There is a way that is fitting in line with the mercies of God. There is a fitting way, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service. Such a response, giving up our bodies wholly, fully, corporately to God, is the only reasonable response to Christ's sacrifice for eternal salvation. There is no other response. There is no partial. There is no I like this, not that or I don't feel like this and that, it's whole complete. That's the only response merited by the gospel of God, by the mercies of God. And presenting our bodies as sacrifice to God is our worship. That is our worship, our service. Not just singing on a Sunday morning or doing a nice duty during the week. It's our whole body presentation all the time, all of us. Every minute of every day and the next day and so on. It's our service, like the Old Testament temple service, the daily sacrificial center of living in Israel. Do you see the connection? So to our bodies today in this administration church, presented as a daily temple service now in this collective temple of God, the Holy Spirit, where he dwells today. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. So we relinquish our bodies so we can present our bodies. Now, what drives this relinquishing and presentation for us, Westmount? We proceed now to verse 2 and see. This is the bodily engine of the gospel life. So, we relinquish our bodies and we renew the mind. Point 2. We renew the mind. Point 2, verse 2. So, we present our bodies, but Paul, can you be more specific on the how here? 
Verse 2, let's see it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In this verse, look at verse 2 with me. What do we have? Three things. A negative command, a positive command, and a purpose for both. That's what you see there. Negative command, positive command, purpose for both. So our bodies presented in sacrifice requires three things. What? We do not be conformed to the world. We be transformed by mind renewal. And three, purpose so that by regular practice we can discern the will of God. Do you see that? Living according to the will of God. So frustrating since the garden, isn't it? Right? It's been so frustrating by curse. Now, in the gospel of God... It doesn't mean all that frustration goes away, but here's the frustration completely lifted. You can. You can now. In the gospel of God, it's possible to live as we ought by God's will. But before we jump quickly to some untethered reality that we just simply know the sum of God's will by just simply being a Christian, and I think we operate this way today. I'm a Christian, therefore there's some download divine that, oh no, don't worry, I know it's in me, I know what he would want to do. No, look what Paul does. Before we do that, We read correctly. We hug these verses and orderly. Look at verse 2. What's the order? Do not be conformed to this world. That comes before discerning God's will. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That comes before God's will. When you do those two things, look at purpose by testing. Doing those, you may discern what's the will of God. What's good and acceptable and perfect. So important. Two components of discerning God's will that are prerequisite Westmount to discerning God's will. You see that? Have you ever asked God, God, can I know your will? Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever, have you ever begged God? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever prayed. Like, God, can I know your will for this circumstance? Well, look down at verse 2. So let's do this together. God says, okay, this is what it entails. Two parallel commands that reveal two parallel choices we are confronted with. Two parallel commands that reveal two parallel forces that we can yield to, that will directly impact your discernment of the will of God. That should get our attention, right? These are two things that are salient to discerning the will of God. In other words, let me be blunt, if I haven't been already. If these two things are not operative in your life, you will never discern the will of God in the way that you keep begging. It'll be hard, but let's do this together. And let's look at what God calls us to do. These are two parallel commands, just some introductory comments on them, that are two parallel passive in sense actions. What does that mean? It means we're allowing, here's the sense, there's something to shape us and press in on us and form us. There's an external agent doing forming, right? Like the hand shaping the Play-Doh, right? The Play-Doh doesn't shape itself. There's an external force that's shaping it. But... And this is where we see not all analogies take us where we need to go. We are inwardly allowing it to happen, right? We're allowing the external force to happen. And the force here is that we can allow one of two sets of hands to shape us. It's our choice. And the first one, look at it with me, is the world. Now, this is not world. Look at that word as you see it often in the New Testament. This is not cosmos. We've talked about that before. That's not this word. That world, the cosmos, is the created order. The places and the people of Genesis 1. That world is what originates in God, and God makes and calls good, Genesis 1.31. That world is a world that God can love, John 3.16, and a world to be renewed. 
That world is not this world. Beloved, we need to be very clear on this distinction if we're going to get this right. Because some well-intended Christians go to this verse and want to throw away the cosmos. Like some unbeknownst modern Gnostic, they reject all the physical and the created. The created beauty, creative expressions, created good things, they feel it's all evil. This is so important. It's not what Paul is talking about. And for one, so we're clear on this before we leave hastily, for one, the issue is not things in the cosmos, but it's how we use those things, right? That's the issue. God created the cosmos. Listen, just because art museums contain rubbish, and they do, literally taped to walls, right? Even evil things does not mean, doesn't stand to reason, they don't contain something beautiful. Family found that out last year, right? And we literally intertwined amounts rubbish and beauty, rubbish and beauty. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, God created goodness in a cosmos. And we behold it where it is. But you see right away, something should trigger in your minds. Well, I need an instrument to do that. I need discernment to do that. And this verse speaks to that. Do you see that? How do I discern in the cosmos what's good and, and bad? Because we take good and godly means of expression in the cosmos and we pervert it. Now, that's the word that's not here, cosmos. Secondly, and again, this is important, it's not only not the word used here, the word here points us to something more intangible than tangible like cosmos. Look at it again. Do not be conformed to this world is equal to saying, if we were to peel it back, do not be conformed to this age. Further, age is less a place and more of a period, you see. A period of time. And what Paul is driving at here is the characteristic, the flavor of a time period. This is it. And you've heard it been called, it's called the spirit of the age. And that really captures the idea here. And we will see it confirmed with the parallel command in a moment. And we might say it this way then, which spirit influence is shaping you? That's really the force of view here. What hands are shaping you? What influence is shaping you right now? Do not be conformed, the text says, to the spirit of this age. You say, what's the spirit of this age? The spirit of this age is what you see pulsing and coursing through the halls of public opinion today. The spirit of this age is in every governing policy. It's in water cooler conversations It's in classrooms, it's in boardrooms, it's in ivory towers, it's in your news feeds. It's the common ideas, the suggestions, the impulses, the aims. This age is seen in the power of social groups, the immensity of public pressure, the cultural norms, the civic institutions, the cultic traditions that shape human behavior. You don't need to look for it, it's all over the place. For many, we're breathing it in. And Westman, I hardly need to tell you that those things shape you. Or as a Christian, we would say, those things can shape you. Praise God, it's not predetermined, it's not automatic. That spirit of this age can shape your thinking and your behavior. Do you see how important this command is? Especially in Adam, when you're helpless against that spiritual pressure, right? However, Christian, you're no longer helpless in Adam. You're no longer a slave to the spirit of the age, are you? 
You are in Christ, and thus you can resist this type of world conformity. Because saints were redeemed creatures, not for this age, but for the age to come, right? The renewed heavens, the renewed earth, the renewed cosmos coming. What did we study in Romans 8? We are to live our lives in the context of that age, the renewed age, the world, the kingdom coming. Once again, we remind ourselves that we can, and that is our call, church. That's why we're the church militant, as we sang this morning. Because this world won't help us live in the age to come, will it? Not at all. Christ inaugurated the age to come by calling citizens to life in that new age. He landed in this age, in that first century, in one sense, figuratively handing out passports for the age to come, saying those that would repent and believe, right? He's given us citizenship, listen, we'll, to be fulfilled then, but in a sense our actual now, leaving us here to live in this old age for a time as beacons and precursors for a golden age to come. And that is our identity. But we see in this command and by our own experience, we so often allow this world and this age to shape us. Is that not true? I'm with you all this morning, all of us. Let our guard down so often, don't we, as we live this life? And we let the world shape us. At our very core, we allow the world to shape our convictions, don't we? Because we're not careful. Beloved, again, we need to say this over and over again in these passages. This is not the independent call to be conformed or conform to this age. This is not just for you and your own life. That would be its own mini-series or midweek study, what each of us must do. Now listen, the call includes that. You can't have a body without bodies, right? This is a call to the called out ones, the church, the body to not be conformed to this world. And so we turn our attention to the corporate then. Because that's the force of this text. And church, we look together, and we would lament as creatures of the church how we broadly have missed this. Is this not true? The church proper is saturated with local bodies beset with world conformity. You know what I'm talking about. A.W. Tozer said it best when he said this, I quote, almost everything the church is doing these days has been suggested to her by the world. That is is so true. It's scary how true that is. Church, we are not to allow ourselves to be conformed to the world. It's a command. It is the parent command flowing into this section. Listen, non-conformity to the world was the call of God's people of old as well. This is not some new church thing. Look back to Leviticus. Turn to Leviticus 18. This is not something new. See, in the very same law that Paul has already referenced with this language, we're going to go right back to it, to the same book, Leviticus 18. Listen to the language for Israel. Different administration, also God's people. He says this, Leviticus 18, 1-3, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. Stop there. See that? Their statutes refers to their manner of living. 
Not only do we know that by what it actually says, look at verse 4, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Let me just ask you something this morning. If Canaan was so good and kind and uh, spiritual and if everything aligned perfectly, why would God have to give this command to live differently? Beloved, do you see it? Israel, you were called to walk differently. Here it is, beloved. Because they're so different in Canaan. So too today. You see how the church is called to not be conformed to this world because they're so antithetical and different to what God calls. We cannot miss this. We cannot miss this. Back to Romans 12. The call is no different today in the Canaanite type age of our present day. Listen, this present age is evil, Galatians 1.4, through and through, and you know this. It is a very dark age that we're in. But listen, we are called to be the light. And we can live as light. Like Israel was called to be a light to the nation. We can be today. Because there's a spirit of the age that people walk by that the Gentiles of this day walk by. You know this. Listen to Ephesians 6, 10-12. This is precisely what Paul is speaking of here in Ephesians 6 to the church. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why, Paul? Verse 12, to the church. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This present darkness. So palpable these days, isn't it? Beloved, this is why people of the world should, in that darkness that they can't perceive in their blindness, that's why people should walk into local assemblies, not just this assembly. They should walk into every healthy local assembly and be blinded by the light. And they should utter something like this. What in the world is going on in this room? I don't see anything like that. They shouldn't hear the things that they hear in the world. They shouldn't hear the beats that they hear in the world. They shouldn't see all the manner of things that we do in the world. They shouldn't see it in here. They should be blinded by the light and be struck to say what is going on in this place. No, we are not to look like the world. We're not to relate to the world. We're not to give accommodation of the gospel to the world. Because when you do that, you actually give the gospel away. What does the text say, beloved? Don't listen to me. Listen to the word. Do not be conformed to this world. We are not to look like the world. No, there is no church relating to the world. We're not to present ourselves according to this age. Church gurus, whoever they are, tell us that we must. But world conformity in the church is precisely why local churches are disappearing. Have you figured that out? That's exactly why. Look like the world and pretty soon you're indistinguishable from the world. And they close the building because you just blend in and there is no difference. That's not what the mercies of God came to do to help us be chameleons. 
Instead of allowing the world to shape us, we instead, back to verse 2, be transformed. So negatively don't be conformed. Be transformed by the renewal of the mind. See the opposite allowance here. This is so good. Instead of age-influenced, we must be spirit-influenced. See that? This is the mind. And the mind is the part of the human constitution where body and soul meet. So our soul producing godly thoughts and actions, yet our flesh is still clinging to ungodly memory, habits, and penchants for forming behaviors of this world. Do you see the battle? Thus is new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, able now to consider spiritual things, 1 Corinthians 2.14-16. We resist the spirit of the age and we permit the spirit of God as spiritual people, truly spiritual people, right? And we allow the Spirit to renew our mind. The Spirit's work, but we must yield to the Spirit's renewal. Just like we can sit back and allow the world to shape us, we must actively allow the Spirit to shape us. This is core activity for body presentation as sacrifice. Essential. This is the ground and base of living out gospel life. We are not world-conformed, but we are Spirit-transformed. I can never say that enough. We are not world-conformed. We are spirit-transformed. Beloved, we are commanded here to alter the way we think about everything. This is a challenge for every one of us in this room this morning. Every single thing you think about comes under subjection to the commands in these verses. Everything. You say, everything? Like, everything? Everything. Everything. Think now in Christ. You're a new creation. You don't have new parts. You're a new creation. Holistically. According to a new creature, according to the coming age and newness of life. And this, of course, beloved, is not an overnight change. I think we all know that, right? It's not an overnight change. But this is a lifelong process of mind renewal where we thought by thought by thought give ourselves to spirit transformation. Right? Consider, just with me for a moment, so we apply this text rightly as we begin a greater journey into these chapters. I want you to consider all the many domains, we could say physically, cosmically, all of them in which these two thought patterns differ, which flow out of your mind and the way you think about your environment. What's the meaning of life? Well, the spirit of age says what? Worship yourself. We're an accident. Worship yourself. The Spirit says, you were created by a holy God. Worship Him. What about relationships? The Spirit of the age says, look out for number one. We've all heard it. We were taught it. The great survival instinct of this age, right? Look out for number one. The Holy Spirit says, live for one another, which we're about to see in Technicolor. What about religion? The Spirit of the age says, what you get out of it. You subscribe to a religious movement so that you can get something out of it. That's religion, right? The Holy Spirit says you are called out once for what you can give back to God. The Spirit of the age says, wow, I know nothing of that. What of sexuality? Think about how different the two influences are, right? Ambition. Education. We could go on about education. Dignity of human life. The treatment of life itself in the womb and at the end of life. We could go on and on. And not just the big things. 
What about all things? Every choice. Not just this year, but this week. As you think about what you're going to do this week, have you filtered it through a renewed mind? Every destination. You say, picking up groceries? Yes, picking up groceries. Your busy time. Your downtime. Your skills. Your budget. Your reading material. Your playlist. Your viewing choices. All of that and more covered in Romans 12. Will you submit that all to mind renewal? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your thoughts about all of those and everything else, listen, beloved, are formed, I ask you this morning, all of that formed by who and what? Think with me. Who is forming your own sphere of public opinion? Who is forming that? How are you thinking? Westmount Saints, are we aware of what is shaping our thinking? Yet there's even more here when you say enough. But there's even more here. This is how penetrating this command is. Do you make decisions by what your relatives say to keep peace? Or by what your work says to keep your job? Or by the social chatter of the day to keep up and save face? What is shaping the way you think through those things? Church, by what or who are your convictions shaped? I want you to take time this week and think about it. Who is shaping your convictions? Social pressure, family peace, or the Spirit of God? Church, are we, each of us, all of us, being transformed by the renewal of the mind? And let me give you one help this morning. If everything is going easy in the way you're thinking about things today, I might submit to you, beloved, you're in trouble. If thinking through and living life is just a little too comfortable and easy, especially in this dark age, I want to say to you in love, you might be in trouble. Because the spirit of this age is what? Absolutely dead set against the spirit of God. Are we allowing the spirit to transform our minds by constant renewal? And how are we considering the things of this age? Here it is. So much more to say this in the weeks to come. Are we doing that by God's word and through God's people? How do we do that? Are we testing everything? 1 Thessalonians 5.21 And not believing every voice, every spirit. 1 John 4.1 But testing them to see whether they are from God. Lots of small spirits, so to speak. Lots of voices. What are you doing with them? This is what Barris took us through in 1 John 4, right? We do not just passively just take it in. We don't. We can't. This is work, beloved. I know we want steps and quick fixes. This is work. But this is the good work of allowing mind renewal, allowing Holy Spirit pressure. We actively allow the Holy Spirit to inform every single thing we think and say and do. That's right. Every single thing. And you say how, of course you say that. We're very pragmatic people, right? How? What makes it work? How, how can I get there? And I pray if you've been at Westmount for a while, you know there's nothing new under the sun. You read the word and you live it. And when you're done doing that, you do it again. And then when you're done that, you do that again. You read the word every day. You must be reading the word of God every day. You must be thinking on it. Did you just read it and then you get on with your day? Are you m- meditating on it through the day, looking to apply the word of God? 
Are you talking to others about it? I'm always concerned when I see people not talking about spiritual things because they're not letting the word, that's not mind renewal. Are you talking about the things of God? Letting it soak deep into your soul, that's mind renewal. And are you looking to apply it? Christian, it's the well-worn path, the discipline, listen, the good stuff of struggle, the good stuff of struggle. And saints, consider that when we fail to do this, we weren't spirit moved already by the truth of this word. When we fail to do this, do you know what's exposed? Our discernment, right? This is where the widespread lack of discernment in the church is coming from. Because people aren't committing themselves to these things. And it has implications, beloved, because until we stop allowing the world to influence our thinking, we will never come to understand what God has in mind for us. And on that, we now close verse 2 with this. Look at the end of it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. First of all, I need to point out again where it says, by testing you may discern, that is you all, that is to the collective in Rome, that you all may discern. The same here in Peterborough. Church, let us keep this simple then. When we renew the mind, the result is that we are able to discern what is the will of God for us. That's it really and truly. And this should not surprise because God's will is revealed where? In his word, that's right. In his word, it's right there. And you say, well, what of wisdom issues? What of wisdom issues? I hear that often. Well, God's word doesn't speak to everything, and what of wisdom issues? God works them out, so many of them, through the body, not in your private closet, but by way of the wisdom of many counselors. Proverbs 15.22 By the way, the brothers and sisters that know you that are in your lives, not the talking head on an article or some audio cast on the internet. By these flesh and blood people who you feel breathing on you, who live with you, the wisdom of these counselors, you work out those wisdom issues. And I need to be clear here. Paul always refers to the flesh and blood brethren. One wonders what Paul would have thought about the Christian helps online today. You can just imagine the apostle, if we dare to do this, say, what? Are you not gathering together? Do you not live together? Do you not do life together? Oftentimes, we forsake the assembly to go and find the answers we want to hear from others versus the tough answers in the assembly, don't we? Embrace it. Embrace it for God's glory. Mind renewed by God's word and God's gathered local people as a body. What a blessing to your sanctification, right? And to our holiness. With our mind renewed collective, then and only then, do we rightly know God's will. What a picture. A collective mind renewal with people being dispensed and leaving this place on Sunday, going and executing God's will. What a picture. And let me tell you, that light will blind. That light will blind. Living the way that we're called to live. So good. With our mind renewed then and only then do we rightly know God's will. Listen, beloved, until then, everything else is just packaging for our own will. Or worse, conformity to the spirit of the age. And only God's will, not the world's, is this good and acceptable and perfect. 
good and acceptable and perfect. I do need to pause for a moment to encourage you because I recognize I was thinking this week how difficult not only these verses are, but this section is. And I do, I want to pause for a moment and encourage you, West Mount. Sometimes it's my great joy. I was just leaning back in my chair and just thinking I could go on for the rest of today. The sister in the room that came to me and said, I changed my mind about Halloween. The brother, newly saved, that said, yeah, at first I remember him sparring with me. And he said, oh, I think abortion. I mean, it's a lady's choice. And then coming to me almost in tears and saying, it is wrong. What about the those of you that came to me and said, yeah, I had homosexual friends and I want them, right, to feel loved and that, but I recognize I can't capitulate to that. It's wrong. How many TVs stripped out of bedrooms, entertainment choices changed. Westmount, be encouraged. Your mind, our mind is being renewed. Don't give up and don't listen and be conformed to the spirit of the age. Together, Church militant, we move forward by the mercies of God, being transformed by the renewal of our mind. We are discerning God's will. Don't give up. I just wanted to encourage you this morning. It's been so good to see. And I believe, of course, I am very biased. For so many in our collective, what is coming out is good and acceptable. And listen to me, perfect. That's right is discerned rightly, living rightly. We're reminded of the character of sacrifice. This brings us back to where we started, remember. Holy and acceptable. In the end, listen, what God gives, a holy, acceptable son by the mercies of God, what God gives, God commands to be given back. Do you see that? What God wills comes back. And not only is all in essence the same of what God gives and comes back, but it all flows from the same source. We are only responding with what we have been given, have we not? We're not offering anything of ourselves in one sense, because now we are in Him. In Him. And that is Christ. The God-man. Good and holy God-man. The perfect God-man. And the good and living and holy and acceptable sacrifice of God himself. In Jesus the Son. Jesus Christ. Fitting as we respond to this text, we consider the Lord's table now. And we consider Christ the perfect sacrifice. We are sacrifices in him. We're a local sacrifice at Westmount, but only in Jesus. And it's fitting that we remember that sacrifice at the table now. I invite the ushers to come forward. And just a simple reminder for you, I don't know what has brought each of you here this morning, but I want you to know on behalf of everyone at Westmount that calls Westmount home, you are all welcome to participate in the Lord's table with us. But you are welcome to participate with the conditions that the Bible clearly outlines. So number one, you have fully and completely abandoned yourself for salvation. Fully and completely abandon yourself for salvation. You have fully and completely abandoned any sense that you can bring and do something to God that is acceptable in His sight outside of Jesus. If that is you, you are welcome. 
And you've taken the first step of body presentation in obedience through the act of baptism. There would be no other way, right? The early church members would be aghast at so many professing Jesus and not following obediently in the first steps of obedience. And that you are rightly in relationship with your brothers and sisters. And listen, there's two ways I want to point this out this morning. Not just formally. Most of you, I pray, would say, well, I'm not under church discipline. I'm not being, you know, I'm good. I'm visiting, but things are good. You in your heart, before we examine ourselves, are you, do you and I know that you are right with your brothers and sisters in this room? That you've gone to the Lord with that? That you can take this participation in the body of Christ rightly? You can see we have a lot of examination to do, right? Before we go to the table. 